Guess what, guys? We're not doctors. No, we are not. If you're going to be making any major medical decisions, please consult your doctor. That includes diets, exercise, medications, and surgery. We love you guys. And we want you to continue to be in our OSLP family forever. So be careful and And consult consult your doctors. doctors. Guys, we all need our vitamins after surgery, regardless of what you think. Yes. It's a must. Yes. So why not choose the easiest and the best tasting in the community? Seriously. It's pro care guys. Pro care is so delicious. I use their chewable for over a year. That's how I know. Yes. And I love their capsules. Yes. Love them. They're once a day. I take them at night. Yes. The calcium chews. mm, They have mocktail ones. So go over to ProCareNow.com and use our code OSLP to save some money. Guys, how do you get better prepared for your weight loss journey? Duh, by getting all the guesswork out of your portion control. And Uba does that for you. They make portion control products like plates, bowls, portion containers, and even flatware. And they're porcelain, which means that they are oven, dishwasher, and microwave safe. No plastic. Yeah. So go get your Uba containers now. My goodness. So you can either go to our link in our bio or you can just go over to their website. It is ubahome.co and that is ubahome.co and use OSLP for a discount. Are you feeling lost, alone, maybe a little unsupported in your bariatric journey? Well, if you are, we have a great resource for you. It's called the tribe membership and they have support groups every single day with experts in their field who also had bariatric surgery. Comes with journal prompts, workouts and recipes, you name it. They got it. You'll never feel alone again once you join the tribe. Now go over to thesleevedietitian.com and use code OSLP at checkout. Welcome back, OSLP family. Welcome, welcome. You are listening to our Sleeve Life podcast. And this is Kelly. This is Mahal. And you guys Our mics work. (laughs) Our mics work. It's so loud now. Yeah. Um, So... I was kind of a, a little dirt stir and did not turn up my computer speakers. So <laughs> there's that. Um, we want to talk about the award show. Yeah, we do. Uh, and if, and you, if you don't know what yeah. the award show is, it is called the Just Be You Bariatric Award Show. Right. And this is our second annual show. Yes, it is. It's for you guys. Yes. So if you everybody. don't know about it, go check it out. It's at jbyawards.com. Yes. And this year it's at the Howard Theater in mm. Washington, D.C. Yes. You're so and excited. we're super excited because this year's theme is community. Yes. And all of the places that we've chosen to host events at, mm-hmm. including the Room Block hotel um is all based around community and everybody being accepted and everybody celebrating our differences and And being being you being you yeah like like legit so uh one of the people at the eaton literally said like we just want everybody here to just be them and we're like oh my god our show is called just be you so So we're so excited to host it again this year but we are going to the east coast and we love the east coast and so we found a an amazing theater called the howard theater yes and And this year you get more stuff you get more stuff with your tickets so there are different levels to the tickets yes there is just your plain general mission floor seats there are booths on the bottom level. Yes. There are booths in the top level. Yeah. In the balcony level. Yeah, and yeah. it also has its own bar up there. And, and with the top 
booths, Mm -hmm. you actually get table service. Yes. So you just scan the little QR code, order your drink and table and the little waitress brings it over to you. So like legit, you don't have to leave and you can just get liquored up and have fun. Yeah. Yeah. So there, but those booths, because they are assigned seating, you will have to purchase them in groups of four or six. Correct. So get your friends together, make a plan get those booths because those are going to be highly sought after. Mm -hmm. Plus after the show, which I mean, the show is going to be amazing, but after the show, the wait staff is going to actually come in, pull out all the chairs and we get to have a dance floor. We get to have a DJ. Mm -hmm. We get to have a photo booth. We get to walk along the pink carpet as much as we want. And it's going to be catered and it's going to be catered. So we are going to have really good food. Yes. Really Really fucking good good food. I mean, we love food. Yeah. Like, and come on. we can't just have like a normal party. No. So we are going to not be leaving until 1 a.m. That's right. So we're going to boogie down. Yep. Yes. I boogie really said down. boogie. Okay, cool. Um, um, and there's that. We're going to eat and drink and just have a good old time. And that's the one thing that we love to do is bringing people together. Mm-hmm. And then they get to like have fun and really get to know each other. Because yes. we keep hearing all the time is like, Oh, I met my very bestie through blah, blah, blah. Uh-huh. And we've heard it already from the JBY. We've mm-hmm. heard it sometime, um from when we go on tours. Yep. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, I'm I'm so excited for it. And if you cannot attend the event live, we are going to have a live stream option. Yes. Um, that is going to run through our YouTube and our website. Mm-hmm. Um, so make sure that you are going over and checking out the JBY website and right. also our YouTube. Uh, click the little bell. Hit the subscription button. Something we forgot to add is our patrons. Yes. Yes. And the reason why, like, we need to bring them up is because this whole week that we're there, there's going to be, like, stuff that goes on Thursday, Friday, Mm -hmm. Saturday, obviously, is the show. Sunday, we treat our Benchies to a Benchy brunch on the rooftop of the Eaton Hotel. And you can only go if you are a Benchy. Yes. And if you don't know what that is, that's actually part of our Patreon tier so it's patreon.com forward slash oslp you pick seven dollars or higher for that tier and then you get to hang out with us every day in the facebook group that we Mm -hmm. have called the benchies called the benchies and we have over 200 people almost 300 now and they range from like literally 20 years old up to 60 we have guys we have women so it's very diverse in there and Mm -hmm. everyone just is so respectful and you can put like what the hell's going on with you that day and they will help you yeah they will help (laughs) you it could be good bad ugly it doesn't matter yeah so they're all there for each other we just want to support each other and uh give ourselves the the support that is needed during this and this journey. is us giving back to you guys. So yeah. like you're going to get this free brunch um, and also you get a discount on your tickets. You do. So that comes with that. So yes. don't forget about that. And you get bonus stuff also with being a bench. A bench I mean, stuff. last year we paid for one of our benchies to come to the show. We did. Because we did a to- raffle within our people. So mm-hmm. you could get even a free trip. Yep. Just so saying. we did pay for her hotel, her flight and her ticket. So just keep that in mind. Just saying. Just saying. So now to our guests that we have, and you guys asked for a second one of Mm -hmm. this. Like everybody wanted a second part to this episode. Yep. Because Miss Ashlyn is a a phenomenal therapist. Yes. And she is, she has so many little nuggets of information. I know. And so we are going to go into transfer addiction. Yeah. And what it means, what it does, all the different things that it could be. We're going to do even it all. like some oddball ones. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. So and welcome then disordered back. eating. Yes. Yep. So welcome back on Ashlyn. We're so excited Yay, that you get to come thank back. Thank you guys so much for having me back. I'm yeah. so excited that people were so interested oh in what God. we talked about and having more information. And I had a lot of people reach out to me and also tell me similarly, like I've never heard that or mm-hmm. people never t- told me that. So my providers. So I'm so happy to be back talking about a very fascinating mm-hmm. aspect of post-op life. Yes, because transfer addiction is like a very real thing for us going through the surgery. But when and when I heard it, I was like, oh, it's like drugs, gambling and alcohol. That's what I thought. You're the standard one. But there's more to it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A lot more to it. So yep. and things I didn't even realize could come up after surgery. And then I started seeing themes. We'll we'll get into rage seeking at some point, but it didn't really occur to me that that could be a thing mm-hmm. post-surgery. Um, same thing with like spending, which we'll talk about debting because it's different than like, I just need to buy a bunch of clothes and I do, or gambling. Um, I've definitely seen some gambling addiction post-surgery too. Okay. Um, but yeah. Okay. So what's the top couple of ones that you see within your practice yeah so number one by all means is alcohol so biggest transfer addiction we're going to see is alcohol and there's many reasons for that um and that's probably the most heavily researched that we have the most data points on Mm -hmm. and i would say kind of the second one would be attention seeking or um, problematic behavior. Um, okay. Problematic behavior kind of en- encompasses a lot, um, but that could be just about anything from um, anonymous sex, um, wow. attention seeking, where you're doing things that get you in trouble, but you keep doing them. Okay. Um, I even have some people that like ghosting, like they get to a certain point and then they'll they'll like ghost people repeatedly. Oh. Um, and so it's that's kind of a little bit surrounding commitment, but also like the thrill of the chase, but then, oh. then it's no more. It's like, I, I'm just having a thrill from that. Mm. So kind of those be- behaviors kind of fall into what we consider like adrenaline seeking. Okay. Adrenaline seeking can be more like that level or racing cars, shoplifting, stealing, mm. doing things that are potentially illegal or dangerous to get a rush. Wow. And so I see a bit of that too. Okay. Um, it just tends to look a little different than the general population. The general population, I see more uh, street racing or um, those kind of behaviors where a bariatric population, it tends to be more um, like the goal is attention. Okay. So, um, and why is that? Well, that's a loaded question. Okay. Uh, so uh, <laughs> so I think part of that is um, my clients that are seeking out, so general population clients that are seeking out therapy for racing their cars, mm-hmm. um, they have already hit the pinnacle of needing more and more adrenaline. Mm. And so they are not getting adrenaline from attention. So it's kind of like the question of like why more men are thinking about having kids now. It's because someone asked them. Um, we didn't ask them like 30 years ago. That's why there's more people. So it's one of those things, <laughs> not that they have less problems with attention-seeking behaviors. It's just that doesn't create any adrenaline in, in them. So they're they're not, uh, it's they not problematic. Care. Yeah. Wow. So, but I think it's a mix of like newfound attention, potentially um, mm-hmm. feeling less invisible Mm. Uh, feeling that people are paying attention to them and actually that creating some rage. Um, some of the behavior that I see is actually more like 
where were all these people before? And now I'm going to get, I'm going to make you feel bad. And oftentimes it's subconscious. So it's not this, like, I'm going to go out and get them. They're more coming in saying, I keep getting in this pattern of behavior, but I don't know how I'm getting here. And I, I don't really like it, but I still find myself here. So to me, that's a hallmark. So you keep getting in trouble. You keep finding yourself in dangerous situations. You keep finding yourself and that could be alcohol. It could be anything, Mm -hmm. but you're not really sure why, which is part of why you keep doing it. And Mm -hmm. that to me is like a hallmark that like something problematic is going on for most of us. If we have a really bad drinking experience, we kind of learn from that. We kind of use it as a learning experience. And then we stop that kind of problematic experience. But if you keep doing it and you keep finding yourself there and you can't really figure out why you're not stopping or not learning from it, that's usually a flag that something is going on. Um, Yeah. Okay. (laughs) All right. Yeah. So how do you go, how do you figure out if this is an issue for you? Yeah. So that, that's kind of the, the big question I I get because obviously drinking alcohol in and of itself is not a problem. Mm -hmm. Um, we could argue racing your car is or shoplifting is, but, um, but particularly with alcohol, even, uh, some drug usage, like, you know, how do we know when it's going from like, okay to too much. Yeah. And generally in order for us to like clinically diagnose it or for me to feel that it's a serious problem, it has to negatively impact your life in multiple areas. Okay. So it has to negatively impact your ability to work, your ability to be in relationships, your ability to function day to day. And it has to have a repeat problem and you're not changing it. Okay. So technically we're like abuse, misuse, abuse, Like we have a clinical way of like figuring out when it's just like problematic versus diagnosable. And what I always tell people is it doesn't really matter if it's diagnosable or not. We're going to treat it no matter what. So do not worry. Occasionally I'll have a client be like, I don't think I'm meeting criteria, so I don't want to come in. And I'm like, but we're having this conversation. So come on down. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. It's It's your butt here now. (laughs) Right. It's obviously causing some concern. So like, let's deal with it. Um, But I would say, especially if you just can't figure out the loop, like you're Mm. finding yourself in those positions and you're like, I'm still drawn to this despite it being dangerous or unproductive or hurtful to me. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't like how it's making me feel. I do not like how this is what this is creating in me. Um, And I would like to make a change Um, because the 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 some people also think that like the the treatment therefore is to not drink or not mm. race your car or not use drugs or whatever that may actually not be the treatment the the treatment may be like let's do some controlled drinking see how it goes let's try to get to the bottom of this and then if we can't then then we probably need to look at like sobriety mm-hmm. but that's not everybody and often i find actually more in in the bariatric community, it's not. So about one in 10 of the general population, when they drink alcohol, it impacts their brain differently than the 90% of the rest of the general population. And so their dopamine system gets a little more hijacked. Um, so your dopamine system is what make, makes you feel good. Mm-hmm. If we hijack that, that system, it is like that overall else. So if you have a family member, someone you know that can't just have one, yeah, mm-hmm. they just can't. Mm-hmm. Um, those tend to be one of those one in 10 and their treatment ultimately probably will be sobriety and avoiding alcohol altogether because their system gets easily hijacked. The easiest mm-hmm. way not to get hijacked is for the system not to be exposed. Okay. Um, for other people, the actually a, a, a big part of the population, the treatment is figuring out the why mm, Okay. and what are you going to do instead? Where did it come from? 
And I think that's oftentimes people's big question is like, what, where did this come from? Why did it, ha- why does mm-hmm. it keep happening? Like, is it just the, and bariatrics gets really fun because there's a, a physiological part, like we talked about last time mm-hmm. that your body absorbs alcohol faster, mm-hmm. your baseline, you'll feel sober faster, but you won't be. So you increase, you tend to increase use. Mm-hmm. But the flip side of that is that we also, the reason that we utilize alcohol may be changing too. So you're more likely to potentially socialize or go out. You're mm-hmm. less isolated. So alcohol may be around you more. You might not have utilized alcohol a lot previously. So you're not quite sure what your tolerance is, or you're now with a group of people that socialize a lot. So you're meeting norms. Mm. So if I am in a situation where everybody's drinking, I'm more likely to drink more. So when we look like we make little studies, we like normalize the people around us. Yeah. yeah. Um, but also like historical factors. So the ASMBS's stance for alcohol is if you previous to surgery have a problem with alcohol, you need to get it treated, which makes sense. Yes. But I remind people that your use of alcohol isn't always the problem. It's the why. So family history is a risk factor, Mm -hmm. not solely for genetics, but if you had a parent who used drugs, alcohol, or other problematic behavior, which could include sex, you're more likely to then be in an environment where you're abused or neglected. Mm-hmm. And so that in and of itself, we need to figure out. And one of the problems, if you grew up in an environment where you're abused or neglected, you learn not to listen to your gut. Mm-hmm. You learn not to listen to your body and disconnect from feelings of uns- things that are not safe, things that don't feel good. And so now, and this, this actually ties in really well with eating Yeah, is that, you know, I run into this, like I have a really hard time dropping into my body to be like, I'm full or I'm not full. Like Mm -hmm. I'm really good at disconnecting from feeling of, of fullness. And so that's really tricky when you have bariatric surgery, where now all of a sudden you're feeling like fullness, like Mm -hmm. uncomfortable. And now again, you're trying to avoid uncomfortable feeling. Like we all do that. We're short wired for that. Yeah. And so that kind of all encompasses where maybe I was dealing with it, but now I'm in a situation where I have a lot more access. And so now it feels good to be social. It feels good to let go of control. It feels good to be able to just let loose and have fun. These were the things that I missed out on in my life because I was heavy or Mm -hmm. I wasn't included. And now I'm going to live it up. The problem is the responsibility level that I had at 18 is very different than at 37. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So if I start to ignore responsibility, if I start to ignore all those things, much more catastrophizing than when I was 18. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so we see that too, because in general, our population for bariatric surgery is is a little, we're definitely young, a lot younger, but um, generally it's not 18 year olds who have space to make mistakes. Yes. Mm -hmm. It's where you don't go to work. Therefore you lost your job. Therefore you're you know, your housing, your like big, big, big things could happen. Wow. Uh, And so that's sometimes why we also see the consequence is higher for the bariatric population. Um, Well, yeah, because we're older and we have more responsibilities. So I do want to touch on the fact that you said if you feel neglected or abused during your childhood, you disconnect later. So... Is that, I mean, okay, so my dad was never around. I felt very neglected by that. I 
thought I had dealt well with that, but I'm kind of starting to think I didn't. Prepping and measuring your food post-op is a beast all in itself. Portion Perfection has actually made it super, super simple. They have bowls, plates, and even a lunch bag called the Kitten Carry, where you can have all of the system ready to go. Especially when you're on a road trip, that thing is a lifesaver. Yes. If you want to get these things to help your journey, just go over to portionperfection.com and use our code 15OSLPOD. And again, that's 15OSLPOD. And you can also go over to our Amazon storefront to pick out any of those that you would like to use. We found a company that was founded by a bariatric surgeon for his patients. He is just trying to make their lives easier. And so they have created a whole array of snacks and dinners and just all the foods you could possibly want that have protein in them and are delicious. Yeah. And they're so freaking good that we took them on tour with us because we tried them on a live. So you guys can always go back and watch that. Mm -hmm. And we liked every single bar. We were shocked. We don't want you guys to miss out. So go over to berrylife.com, use OSLP and get your discount. While we were in Florida, we got to visit one of our favorite bariatric surgeons, Dr. Donald Fridley at Surgical Associates, a bayonet point. They tailor make all their plans to the unique needs of each patient. They have this cool thing there. It's an in-body scanner and you get to do it pre-op and post-op. So that way you can see all the differences and all the changes that happen. And he's also one of the surgeons that does his surgery with robotics. And we got to play with that. We did. So we were so so excited and we want you to have such a special care that they give. So go over to sabpweightloss.com right now or give their office a call at 727-819-819. 9107. That's right. So, and tell them that the OSLP girls sent you and they're going to take great care of you. <laughs> so you probably did deal you well with it did. because your options are low. Okay. Right? So what is your option? Not talk about it. Yeah. yeah. Avoidance, right? Because it's going to yeah. upset people around you. It's going to upset you. Yep. So if I pretend it like is. it never happened, then mm-hmm. I'll be fine. And so avoidance is a pretty good, especially when we're kids. Cause remember mm-hmm. as kids, we like don't have the ability to leave. Yeah. So this is particularly of abuse. Okay. So it's like, you have to turn that feeling. So that feeling that would come up around father's day, that feeling that would come up when it was like dad's day to come to school, mm-hmm. you had to pretend everything was fine and it's good mm-hmm. and disconnect from the feeling of sadness in order to survive and function. Yeah. And that was a fabulous coping skill because you didn't really have any other option. It's not like you'd go in there and be disruptive or refuse to go to school, or or maybe you had a parent that was understanding and you could, but in general, mm. we just had to like deal with it. Yeah. yeah. And so as adults, pretty good coping skill. We avoid it. We don't think about it. We don't deal with it. And then something comes and kind of hits us in the face. And now I can't not deal with it. So example for bariatrics, let's say I have an unsupportive or unsecure partner Mm. who is now upset that I'm losing weight and going out and having fun. And now they're chasing after me. Where are you? What are you doing? I know you're cheating on me. So a way to deal with that is to shut them out. Drink. Well, I'm going to get in trouble when I get home anyways, might as well have fun. So it's fueling the behavior. Mm. And it's that connection with, I won't feel in my body that I feel like I'm like, my life is falling apart, that um, my relationship is not working, that I don't have a supportive partner. I will just avoid it because that feels like I'll disconnect from all of those feelings. Um, and alcohol really helps us disconnect. Yeah. So my question is, so if I got really good at disconnecting and I was in, so I was in the relationship with my ex-husband, I got very good at disconnecting 
my whole life. I've been very good at it. And so I disconnected from anything, from anything and everyone. I disconnect. I didn't even know what I liked. I know. I, I asked her and so is, she was like, she's like, name one thing that you like that's like fun about you. And I was like, I don't know. And then I started naming shit. And I'm like, what are you, what's going on over there? Yeah. So is that like, could that play a part in the neglect from my childhood into now? Because like, even now, like I just realized five months ago that I was in an abusive relationship for 15 years. Yeah. An emotional. And I had no idea. Mm -hmm. So is that part of like me shutting it down? So if I don't think about it. Okay. Yeah. It's also in the normalization of your like environment growing up, like you might've been around people. And oftentimes it's like parent child. It's like grandma and mom or mm. grandma and dad that are kind of mean and picky and, uh-huh. and awful at each other. So it kind of normalizes, oh, well, that's just how people joke. That's just how people play. Like the grandma that walks in and then like, you gain a bunch of weight. Like what, what's going on with you? Like being really aggressive in like, like pointing out flaws a way to disconnect again, that disconnection is really effective. Cause I can't mm-hmm. make grandma go away. No. no, I just have to sit and be like, yeah, grandma, I, lo- I gained some weight. What's going on with you? Like, we just have to kind of learn to deal with it, but it also normalizes. Mm-hmm. Then if someone else in, in your life starts to do some of those patterns, it's like, yeah, it's kind of, I don't like it. It's kind of like what grandma did, but how I dealt with it before is I ignored it and I disconnected from it. It's kind of like also- Eric and my, and my mom. Yeah. My mom was mean and neglectful. And then my husband was exactly the same. Yeah. That's why he's an ex. Or soon Soon to be. be. Soon to be ex. (laughs) This is very enlightening for me. Yeah. So your avoidance and I have been neglected. Cool. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I already knew that, though. It's nothing new. Yeah. That's I mean, we've been working on this for a while. Because when she was talking about how like, oh, well, people will just say things and you just kind of like, boom. Like, let it go. Just keep mm. moving with the conversation. Like, that's a good, that's a talent I have. Like, mm. I can move a conversation so the rude or awkwardness can just be shifted out of the, out of my okay. face. Out of yeah. The, and I just disconnect. She disconnects. Sometimes we get it. into people pleasing patterns as a means of safety. Yeah. So if I manage everyone's emotions around me and I, I can anticipate how everyone's going to feel, that's the safest thing for me to do. So I can't say that I like chocolate cake because my mom might show up for my birthday with a vanilla cake and then she might be mad, disappointed or upset with me. So I'm just going to have no preferences at all so that when it shows up, I could just be like, yay, because I'm managing their emotions. emotions. So here's the funny thing about that. I'm really good at that. <laughs> I'm um, sorry, that's, that's, you just make, wrote my book me, on that. Makes so. me a fabulous therapist. <laughs> yeah. Makes yes. me a, a, a fabulous driver. Makes me a fabulous. Uh, no one's gonna assault me in a in a, a, a grocery store because I'm like, yeah, I'm on. It. You're alert. I know what's going on. Yeah. So again, it's safety, safety behaviors, and mm-hmm. for the most part, they keep us really safe. So we don't necessarily want to turn them off. We just want to occasionally be able to drop in our own bodies and be like, this feels good or doesn't. Mm-hmm. This is a preference or it's not. Uh, I really like vanilla cake, and it makes me sad when my mom didn't know that and showed up with chocolate. Um, that never happened, by the way. But uh, <laughs> huh. I don't know. I just brought it up <laughs> twice. It could be a thing. <laughs> no, I always had ice cream cake. Oh, uh, there, you go. That, there you go. Yeah, yeah. I have a summer birthday, so ice cream uh, cake. yeah, because I would do it so that way I couldn't feel disappointed. Mm-hmm. 
Yep. That's how and a I lot do. of, a lot of my stuff is a, avoidance of people around me feeling disappointed in me. So working harder. So workaholic, man, we haven't worked, uh, talked about that. Um, like diving so deep into your work. This is probably me a little bit. This is me. Uh, that you don't have to function with the rest of your life because you're just so busy. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, uh, I can't disappoint. I can't be disappointed that my friend didn't invite me to the thing because I'm working and, and, and I couldn't have gone anyways. So like I can avoid disappointment in social situations. Mm-hmm. I can avoid disappointment, um, feeling like unincluded or not part of a group because I'm automatically part of a group at work. Mm-hmm. Um, not so much, you know, in private practice, but it's one of those things that sometimes I'll have people where like their career will blow up, which is like fabulous. And they're like, Ashton, I should be so excited. But like, I haven't socialized in a really long time. So when I do, I got like, I'm going to Vegas and I'm, you know, hookers and blow and it, having like a all in. Wow. Right, right, right. It's not like a little, it's a lot. Yeah. Okay. So, but again, it's one of those things that it's like, well, now I can afford it. I always wanted to have, you know, a boys weekend in Vegas. Mm. Um, and then I made one, except I realized I had no boys to go to have a boys weekend in Vegas because nobody's around anymore. Oh, cause you avoided them for so long. Yeah. 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 And they now have relationships and families where they're probably not going to be able to go to Vegas and have hookers and blow. So <laughs> that makes so sense. She's speaking some language here yes, for yes. sure. I know Kelly's light bulbs on. Yeah. Yeah. For me, it's more like, I don't know how to celebrate. She, yeah, she's really bad at it. No idea. I was never celebrated. I mean, I have no idea well, how to do and it. To take it one step further, like, so I don't feel like I was seen by my family at all. Mm-hmm. So by disconnecting or pretending like that didn't happen or overdoing it. Mm-hmm. So like if it was their birthday, I would go like 150% in because if I go 150% in, they will see me. Right. And yours yeah. is like, well, nobody celebrates me anyways, so I'm not going to do it to myself because if I don't have it done, like if I don't do it for myself, then it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Am I yeah. on the the right yeah. track? No, okay. and the cr- crazy, it's, it's amazing how much stuff we all have in common. Uh, right. But I'm in the middle of five kids. We didn't have birthdays. Like we got a cake, mm-hmm. we did some family stuff, but mm-hmm. we never had parties. We never had anything mm-hmm. like that. And I was in an environment where people other than us were very affluent. And so they had like insane mm. stuff. Yeah. And so it felt very polarizing. And I remember as an adult, I'm like, okay, now I'm an adult. I'm going to have my own. And then like people couldn't come or like, there's so much disappointment that I just didn't want to deal with it. Yeah. And so like, there's a lot of pain around birthdays for me. Mm. And so it is interesting because my husband, his family, like birthdays are incredibly important they're important that you celebrate them on the day that they like that's a big thing for them and so his mother like shows up no matter where she (laughs) on my birthday it's birthday time for Ashlyn so it's just a very interesting yeah my mother-in-law and I are are very cool and it's interesting because like my mom and I are are much better now too and Mm -hmm. it's like I went through a lot of therapy to kind of manage like she was pretty overwhelmed by having five kids. Yeah. I felt like some of the stuff that happened that felt neglectful were not of her fault. Mm. They were because, you know, the environment that we're in mm-hmm. and it's hard to kind of figure that out as a kid, it felt a lot more personalized. Yeah. So, so yeah. And I kind of had to work through some of that. I was also very used to being the helper and the invisible person. Mm. And I'll just like manage all this stuff and be back here. And so it was very odd when I had to start like being in front 
Mm-hmm. Um, and that made things very uncomfortable. And so another way you can kind of find your way into alcohol too is social anxiety. Um, alcohol tends to bring down social anxiety a little mm-hmm. bit. So like when we're going into new situations, often it's like, you know, like I'll take a shot because then I'm going to go do something, you know, scary. What is that called? Uh, liquid, liquid courage. Liquid yeah. courage. We do it every yeah. time we go on, yeah. on stage. I mean, that's what yeah. happened. Yeah, I was the first on stage and I was freaking the fuck out. She was. So we did and a shot of tequila. We did a shot of tequila. And now we have to do it every show because it's, it's I mean, it's tradition thing. now. Right, so. Right, right. so that may be something that could easily potentially get to like more and more and more. Right. And again, that that issue where our absorption is a little off. And so it's mm-hmm. harder for us to know. Um also, especially for my big guys, prior to surgery, they were able to like put down some. They can yeah. handle some shit. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. So people around them are used to them like putting down a twelve pack, and they bring them the twelve pack, not thinking about it. And then they kind of again, same similarly mindless eating, where you're just picking one up, chatting with everyone, hanging out. So sometimes, like very similar to that mindless eating, where I'm at the party and I accidentally eat all the cake because it's in front of me and I'm not thinking about it. We sometimes have that with alcohol too, where people are expecting the old you to be able to re-return. Mm-hmm. And so um, a lot of times with that too, we just, we try pacing and like waters in between and eating something. So you have to wait the 30 minutes. So you, you have an excuse for others um, or changing what you're drinking. So if everybody's drinking like a lot of whiskey, then maybe you switch out to beers or you have some like tea or something and then mm-hmm. kind of come back. And again, it's not that it's like nothing, you can't have anything. It's just, we got to kind of figure out where we are. Um, oh, I do shots and then I have hot tea. That and is then, a lovely. Yeah, literally. That's what I do. Yeah. Like it was funny because Dalton and uh, hot Rob got to experience it. And they were like, what the fuck are you doing? And I was like, oh, I I'll do shots and then I'll drink water or I do a shot and I'll take hot tea. Like, I don't care. Yep. Like There's I literally balance in between. I'm always balanced. Because yeah, you don't really drink mixed drinks. I don't like drink them at all. Well, you drink some of them at my house only because you serve them to me. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's only straight liquor because when I first came out of surgery, I didn't drink till I was 18 months out. And then mm-hmm. I was like, there's so much sugar and there's so much shit in this. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, but how can I still be like the norm. Mm-hmm. Oh, shots. Yep. That's how I can do it. And so I would do like a shot. They would I'd just wrap everybody up. Let's go do a shot. And then they'd be drinking their drink, not even think about what I'm drinking. As long mm-hmm. as I got something in my hand, didn't yeah. matter. Yeah. yeah. That's something that I did too. I just make sure I have something in my hand that looks like it might be alcohol. So no one's going to say anything. If you look like you have like a cran vodka or something in your hand, no one's yeah. going to be like, is there any vodka in that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. So the, I want to go back to not feeling like you are drunk when you are, because I've had that happen. Me too. Mm -hmm. And so I risk for DUI. Yeah. Like the brain doesn't feel drunk, but then your body is. Yeah. So, um, what's happening is that your body believes it's returned to baseline. So it believes that it is at a relatively sober space but if i took your blood like if you got a dui it would show that your blood alcohol is higher than you feel and so that is a phenomenon that happens post-surgery so we do see an increased risk of dui i have worked with court order dui cases there's a dui attorney locally that knew that i had bariatric surgery so he'd send them to me um and it's almost always that thing where it's like i had one or two and then i was over the legal limit usually Mm. not by a lot 
um, but they still ended up with the DY. So which leads usually pleads down to wet reckless. But regardless, that also increases risk for alcohol poisoning. So oh. um, you feel you're sober. So you're going to take a couple more shots and then you feel sober again. So you're going to take a couple more shots. Your blood alcohol is going higher and higher. Also increases risk for uh, alcohol related liver diseases. Um, so especially uh, chronically drinking and not clearing mm-hmm. um, that impacts the liver. And if you previously had any kind of issue with your liver, or you know that you previously had issues surrounding alcohol tolerance, that also plays into it. So there are certain people that are just more likely to have alcohol related liver diseases. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, off, you may not know that. And then if you increase your alcohol use, that can impact the liver. Yeah, because wow. two Februarys ago, I went to to Bend, and I just couldn't feel drunk. And then all of a sudden, like I was drunk, drunk. Yeah, where I was like, like falling over. I had bruises all up my legs. Like I walked. We walked everywhere, but I was like, I don't, I don't even remember half the night. Like it was mm. wild. I was like, yeah. what the fuck? And I will say, blacking out is not a normal part of drinking. So if you are someone who blacks out a lot, um, that is an indication there's something potentially more going on. Again, probably more problematic alcohol behavior versus alcoholism or needing to be sober. But that gives us a sense of how alcohol is impacting your brain. Okay. Um, so we do not want to black out. That's not good for our brains. So what uh, is so- happening? Like, Because I've heard of people, they call it brown out now. Have you heard of that? Yeah. yeah, like where it's like spotty, but not really. Oh, I've out. never heard of that. And then there's like this is a literally legit right? like chunks of time are gone. Yeah, is blackout. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. So what's going on? What are, what's going on with our receptors? So that you know, trying of. to think of like the easiest way to explain this is not super scientific. Yeah. So essentially, what's happening is your brain has equilibrium without alcohol, mm-hmm. and so when we add it, it it can change. Uh, the equilibrium of our brain. And for most of us, we recover because it's able to kind of clear stuff out. Um, but if we repeatedly do that, sometimes it can't. And that's okay. kind of the easiest way. Okay. Um, also, this is the same reason or part of the reason why some people will wake up and kind of be shaky and need to drink. Um, and that is a indication, again, that you're like your equilibrium is now starting to believe that alcohol in your brain is equilibrium. So that's how it should be. And so it's trying to get back to equilibrium by you having drink, like drinking in the morning. And I will say this too. Sometimes people will ask me, can I have a problem with alcohol if I don't drink every day? And the answer is yes, you can have a problem. So some of the, even some of my clients who choose sobriety as treatment, um, they're binge drinkers. Like Mm. they can't just have one. They do really, really, really well. Mm. Um, I see this a lot more too in older women. So they manage the family and they manage Mm -hmm. being a wife and they manage their job. And then when they get to go to Cabo, you know, they're, they're Uh, getting great. Okay. So then that creates again. So like, when does it become a problem that creates like they're hurting themselves, Mm -hmm. like falling downstairs. Um, I've had people where their partner gets frustrated with them and like drag them down a street. Um, and it cut up like the entire back of their body. Like, yeah, like it creates problems. Your yeah. creates relationship problems, physical problems. But yeah, one of the there's a um a really good. It's free. It's called the audit. A U D I T T. It's 
alcohol use. Don't know what the rest of it stands for, but essentially <laughs> it gives you a number and essentially four or above, you need to like look at your alcohol use. Uh, oh. If you're in the twenties and thirties, like that's like, okay. red alarm. and it's going to ask you about like, have you, have you hurt yourself because of drinking in the past 30 days? And that's like accidental injury, not necessarily self-harm. Okay. Okay. Um, that's usually a little red flag for me. Uh, people around you are concerned about your alcohol use. And obviously we got to use, always got to use cultural norms. So like if you are in a religious community that like alcohol, you're not allowed to have it all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Everyone's going to be concerned about your alcohol use because that's not the norm of the, the group. Yeah. But yeah. beyond that, um, you know, is there, are other people telling you like, Hey, uh, you got really drunk last night and you did some stuff that doesn't seem like you. And I don't know, like what's going on. Um, so like, we like be aware of those things. Again, it doesn't mean that you got to stop drinking, but we need to start kind of like looking at the why, like, is it feeling really good and you're trying to escape something? Are you trying to, same thing for like really, really chronic marijuana use. Uh, are you like marijuana in and of itself could give two shits about, but the why, like, are you avoiding life? Are you mm. avoiding pain? Are you avoiding responsibility? Are you just needing to like zone out for a little while? Like you can still do those that you still have a break. You could still zone out. We just might not utilize marijuana or okay. alcohol or cocaine or whatever we're using. Um, or like I, I've had clients that are like, I only feel fun when I'm on cocaine. I'm like, all right, let's talk about that. Yeah, like, yeah. There is a physical sensation with the use of cocaine that, mm-hmm. that MDMA or ecstasy or Molly similarly. And like, yeah, there's, there's literally something going on uh, in your brain. So we have these little receptors and they send information and we pick up the information and we send it back and forth. So antidepressants create a, um, a fence around it. So we get the information back and forth. Cocaine goes, blah, and then it singes. Oh. And so now I'm trying to send in for, so that's the come down the next day. Um, now I'm trying to send information and it's gone. So it's, it's interesting. That's why people get mad when they get on antidepressants and they, it doesn't feel like it's working. It's because if I went, blah, that's cocaine. Like we can't do that. We have um, to go really slowly and create the fence. Okay. So yeah. And that's so why people can be douchebags the next day when they're coming down. Yes. Cause cool. literally it's, it's gone. Yep. It's gone. Particularly uh, MDMA meth go. and um, good to know meth in particular, we can see on, uh, <laughs> we can see on MRIs how bad that is. And the problem too, with some chronic, uh, any of those guy, uh, any of those uh, usage is that it takes longer and longer for your brain to recover. So usually this guy, he'll come back. Um, but uh, sometimes in long-term meth usage, it can take a really long time. So coming off of meth is really challenging because people don't have feelings. They don't feel good. They don't feel bad. They feel nothing. And if oh, I'm wow. searching for feeling something, that's why I use the drug to begin with, then having no feelings is almost unbearable, which is why it can be really challenging to come off some of the stimulants. So wow. what about Fuck. like uh, pain meds? Oh, pain meds. Those are fun. So pain meds, opiate receptors. So we all have opioid receptors in our brains. And so mm-hmm. what pain meds do is it puts a shield on them. So here's the interesting thing about pain meds. Um, you're still having the pain. You just can't feel it. Right. Okay. So that's that kind of like, or I feel the pain, but I don't give a fuck. Like I have a lot of clients that are like, the pain meds do not change the fact that I feel pain. I just don't care about it. And I'm like, oh. okay. That's interesting. Yeah. So in, with pain meds, um, it then it goes over the the receptor so that it can't send the message. Well, that receptor is kind of complicated. 
So there are, I think 20% of the population, I may be wrong on that, maybe less, um, that that makes them feel like amazing. Hmm. Uh, Superman. I've had uh, family members that told me that they took it and it felt really good. And I'm like, time out. Mm-hmm. Like, or like again, they love they, them. Yeah. yeah. Or like all of a sudden they have confidence. Mm-hmm. They feel amazing. Yep. It's because our brains are so complicated and all those little receptors, they're all intertwined. That's why some people could drink alcohol and they're fine. And some people can't. Their little receptors just go bonkers. And mm. it's the same thing with opioids. It's just a different receptor. And so if you are someone that you notice when you take them, it doesn't mean that you can't take them necessarily. So I don't want you to go have surgery and say like, I can't, I can't have anything. Yeah. We just need to take it under supervision. We need to make sure people around us, our surgeon, our, our family, someone who's close to me knows what's going on. We're going to terminate that usage when we no longer use it. We're going to physically get rid of it. We're going to take it to the pharmacy. We're going to take it, uh, Florida, we have these little DEA boxes you can throw meds in. Um, we're not going to have access to it. Because sometimes what happens is it gets put away, you don't think about it, and then you have a really crappy day where you don't have any other other great coping options, and you're rummaging for the bath ball, because you're like, I'll try to take a bath, and then you see it, and you're like, oh, that could make me feel better. So usually those are utilized when we don't have any alternative that feels just as useful or accessible. So part of treatment is moving all of the other stuff up, but also understanding that nothing's going to feel like cocaine and ecstasy. Mm -hmm. Like our brain cannot do that. Like it's not supposed to. So our expectation for how good we're going to feel does have to come down a little bit because I want to be able to have a consistent back forth, not a blah. Yeah. So yeah. And and that's tough because if you open that, that's why sometimes when we talk about like don't do drugs, kids. <laughs> I wish we talked more about the like, yeah, it's going to feel good, but here's why you probably sh- still shouldn't open the box. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't tell people that it's going to feel good, when it feel good, when it feels good, and then the police doesn't pop out of the, the uh, closet, which is what I was expecting, right? The police <laughs> is going to pop out of the closet and be like, you're underage drinking. Well, that didn't happen. Um, everything went fine. Yeah. You know, life still happened. <laughs> What else are they lying about, right? Yeah. So we have to be honest with kids. And we, well, we won't even get into that. But we have to be honest with ourselves that, yes. you know, you're probably not going to feel the same physical sensation with certain drugs or with sex to some degree as we will just in our general lives. But that chasing part is sometimes part of the addiction. So, okay. or uh, problematic behavior. So like my client I was talking about before, it was kind of addicted to ghosting. Uh, which I was just like, what? You, Originally what? when they came in, I was like, what do you mean you're addicted to ghosting? <laughs> um, but but when they explained it to me, I'm like, oh, that makes sense. It's the chase. So mm-hmm. it's finding, hooking, getting, and then like, okay, you're no fun. Ghosting. Because the commitment team seems too scary. Because mm-hmm. uh, the fear is that that person won't find them sexually attractive because they've lost a bunch of weight. So they don't actually do the meeting part. Um, because then that person could show disappointment in them. Like, oh, you're not what I expected mm-hmm. or you're not what I want. So they cut it off at that point to make sure that never happens. But that also means you never get the actual connection with a person. Yeah. You don't actually get to be in a relationship and you're reinforcing that you're undesirable. Oh, wow. I that totally is- saw it in my brain. <laughs> Like the whole the whole interaction thing. And then like, oh, I don't have to actually 
connect with anybody because mm-hmm. I'm going to keep them over here. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. At arm's reach. Yeah. Wow. They give that little, little, uh, uh, what is it called? Uh, gambling machine, slot machine. They give you the little slot machine. Yep. Yep. All the, all the lights and all the music and like the little games and yeah. Speaking of gambling addiction, I think yes. I said this last time, but number one way to become addicted to gambling is the first time you gamble, you win big. Oh, I'm sure. Oh, I never that win. feeling. I never you win. Know, yeah, I don't either. <laughs> oh, maybe thank God. I remember the first time I gambled knowing that. I'm like, I cannot win big. So your brain believes normally, unless we have narcissistic tendencies, our brain believes that the the house is always going to win. There's nothing particularly special about me. I know how gambling works. I yeah. know how casinos work. I'm not going to win. Mm-hmm. Problem is, if you win big, your brain says, ha ha, you were wrong. Uh, you are wrong. You are special. You do win, especially repeat winners. And so gambling addiction is kind of fascinating because I tend to see like two different kinds. Uh, people that uh, are addicted more to the um, the casino in and of itself and then yeah. gambling. Okay. So the casino in and of itself often also connects with being somebody. So they're really good comping your room, comping dinners, everyone at the table being like, What's going on? He's so, oh my gosh, look at women, men, you know, whatever. They're around and they want to know what you're doing. You feel special and important. And you may not feel that way in your normal life. Right. So again, that's like, I walk in the casino and and everyone knows my name and um, I feel really important. Even when I lose, it doesn't even matter. It's like, and then my dinner's comped and everyone knows me and nobody knows what my real life looks like. They just know me in here. And so that's actually more of the addictive behavior um, versus, um, more of the online gambling or like, um, risk, uh, the addiction to like taking risk. Mm. Um, that tends to be a little different. That tends to be more seated in, um, like not feeling good enough or, um, that's not even the right word there, but, um, feeling not in, not, not important. I have to, so <laughs> like that you don't in your normal life get to do what you want when you want to, and you're smart and you know how to like, I'm thinking more of black people who play like very high odds, blackjack and not mm-hmm. high odds, high payout blackjack, mm-hmm. where it's like, that's really exciting to be able to take that level of risk because nobody trusts them with that kind of level of risk anywhere else. Mm-hmm. And oh, so yeah. that kind of like, I can make these really important big decisions and it's amazing. And sometimes I win a bunch of money, but the problem is sometimes you don't. And you know, yeah. then you're, um, so uh, warning signs for gambling addiction or problematic gambling behavior, uh, spending money that you don't have or that's earmarked for uh, things that you need to live. So mortgages, electricity, like money you should be using on food. Mm-hmm. Um, longer than uh, you planned for like an hour or two, you find yourself there six hours. Instead of going to sleep, you just stay. Um, being really enticed. So uh, you just find yourself in the casino. Like you're going to the grocery store and you just find yourself in the casino. Um, that can be true of alcoholism too. Your brain will start to like find ways to subconsciously get you closer to the to the addiction. Oh. Um, so it'll have you go a weird way to the grocery store because you know you pass the liquor store or it knows you pass mm. the the uh, casino. And and one of the big things with casinos now is like there was a time where part of treatment was just like getting away from the casino. 
the problem is, is now we have access to it, like on our phones. Uh-huh. Children have access to it on roadblocks. Like roadblocks is gambling. But yeah. hey, another an, another thing I will not get into. But like, so we started young. Uh, so we want to <laughs> make sure that, you know, again, problematic behavior. So is it okay to gamble every once in a while? Sure. Yeah. Uh, but are you st- making a limit, sticking to it? Are you utilizing money that I always think of like when I, I was in uh, Vegas to see Adele, like I had some money earmarked, like I'm going to be in Vegas. I'm going to spend some money. But my feeling was if I go home with $0, that's okay. Cause this is my entertainment money. Yeah. Yes. I yep. No intention of paying my mortgage. I have had clients come in and be like, I had some money and I, I, I knew I could double it. And, and then I could pay my mortgage. And I'm like, like yeah back like again feeling that you're more special or Mm. you have a special ability to make money where other people don't again some of that problematic behavior so so that's kind of gambling you guys want to get into rage i have one quick question though okay so i was thinking about this when we when do you mostly see this behavior happen in post-op oh like because what time frame yeah because i've got yeah. this theory and you could tell me if it's correct or not but i think that once the honeymoon stage is over you've hit your goal weight people aren't as like complimented complimentive of you that's not the right word uh um, you're getting the same they attention. don't compliment you as much because they're used to seeing you at this weight now so it's not like when it was originally like you would go out and be like oh my god kelly you look so amazing how much weight have you lost so it's just become normal is that part of like that addiction to be to have eyes on you can that play a part in that sure okay yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially if you start getting like lit extra up from that, like right? that feels really good. Yeah. So what we see in research and kind of what I've seen in in um, in my practice as well is that we tend to see um, problematic behavior. So gambling, drug addiction, um, spending, those kind of things, rage seeking even in the first year or so. Okay. Alcohol, we tend to see a peak at year four. So by year four, 24 or it's either 24 or 28% of people will have had problematic alcohol use. Wow. It is. And wow. it's weird because the further we go out, it kind of, it, it peaks and then it goes down, but it's not in the beginning, which yeah, makes sense. originally we thought, well, clearly it'd be in the beginning because that's when people are socializing more or that's mm-hmm. when um, people are looking for alternative coping or mm-hmm. something like, because they can't eat food, which we'll get into that controversy in a moment. Yeah. Uh, but that, 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 actually is not supported by, by research. So it's, it's kind of fascinating. Um, but yeah, usually in practice, when you stop losing the weight, I tend to see a little more of that behavioral addiction stuff go on. Yeah. The attention seeking, um, or is that more like where it starts kind of like where it kind of, creeps? yeah, sorry. Yeah. Th- that's, that's more where I'm seeing that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And then you said year four is kind of like peak peaking. That's the peak for alcohol in research. So okay. in research year four, which I do tend to see, um, especially if there's any kind of disappointment surrounding surgical outcome. Okay. Um, so we tend to see an increase in alcohol use if there's a disappointment in, in surgical outcome. So you didn't lose the weight that you wanted to. You don't look the way you felt you were going to look. You don't feel the way that you thought mm. you were going to feel. Um, weight regain, those kind of things. So we do tend to see a little more alcohol use in a population that's un- has unfavorable, that they perceive un- unfavorable. Outcomes. Okay. 
Okay. That makes sense. And that makes sense actually why it's probably year three and four, just because uh-huh. you've done the one year honeymoon. Two, you're trying to figure your shit out. Three, you're like, what the fuck's happening? Yeah. Yeah. And then it goes into some addiction stuff. And it so. kind of also follows a very similar line for uh, expectation for weight regain. So we expect mm-hmm. people to regain a, a certain amount of amount yeah. of weight. Like that's expected. Mm-hmm. We don't expect you to stay at your lowest weight. So there is, if you superpose them, it's not perfect, but you definitely can see that there's some similarities when we're looking at research. Wow. Okay. Wow. Okay. Let's get into rage. Okay. Yes. Okay. So this I had never heard of. And to this day, I don't really see it in research, but it's come up. I don't know if I'm like a magnet for it, but okay. So this is, this is what it is. So Rage seeking is where you get into situations where you would be righteous in harming someone. So you either look like you're defending yourself, okay. like you're putting yourself in the situation, or you're starting fights, but then you got to finish them. So what this has looked like, uh, what I've seen is either they're going into bad neighborhoods and purposely like picking fights with people, and then they'd have to be like, well, I had to protect myself. I was in this this bad, this bad man came, and then he... I had to hit him and he hit me. And mm. um, it can also be pe- people experiencing homelessness or other vulnerable populations, uh, people that likely will not call 911. Uh, or it can look like uh, bar fights. Mm. Uh, someone looks at you the wrong way and you're like, ooh, that's my opportunity. So what's happening with rage seeking? So rage seeking is a form of adrenaline seeking. So it's that feeling of... Um, like feeling that high feeling for being able to go into do something. But the other interesting thing is all the clients that I have, this have very similar backgrounds and this might be anecdotal, but it makes sense to me in their childhood, they were beaten by their father um. and they've all been men. I, I haven't personally seen rage seeking women. I, it, I know it can happen because it, it's out there and I've seen it non-bariatrically, but different. Okay. Um, post more post-mom rage, which is a little different, mm. but in this case, their size is what they deemed as why subconsciously their fathers stopped beating them. They got too big. big. Mm-hmm. And so they could protect themselves with size. And so as they went out in the world, people responded to their size mm-hmm. by not screwing with them. Yep. And as they start to lose the weight, again, because this isn't conscious, they're not like, oh, when I start to lose the weight, I will feel less safe. So I better yep. do something that yeah uh, they subconsciously then feel like they need to prove that they are strong that no one will screw with them that um that this this won't happen to them interestingly enough i've also seen this the only other population i've seen this in is uh first responders which is another group that i work with um and i've seen that a little bit they retire and then they no longer feel that they are protected or they need to prove that they're they're still um you know, the like able to protect and themselves. Strong and, yeah. But there's also a strong connection in first responders of trauma, like historical childhood trauma. Mm. Uh, generally, you don't sign up to make a uh, very little money and put your life in danger if you didn't have some experiences as a kid yeah. uh, surrounding fairness. Uh, yeah. So, so there's right. some of that. But know. yeah, so that's rage seeking. So <laughs> if you are someone who's had that history, yeah. It is something to simply be aware of. Okay. That you can find other ways. So how I work with those clients is we find other ways for them to feel safe or strong and that we work on um, identifying when that behavior is coming up, either things that trigger it. So like a fight with the wife and the wife 
make some kind of comment that you misinterpret as you're not strong, you're not doing what you need to do, you're not a man. And so your brain is like, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go feel like a man. So again, you kind of know like, okay, well, that would trigger. And with all of this stuff, everything in general, I was just talking about this last night, you do not fail, you learn. So it's a learning experience. So most of the time, there's a lot of shame, obviously, with rage seeking because you're doing stuff you're not supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, I failed. I sh- like, I'm a horrible person. What does this mean about me? And it's like, okay, so I can't change the fact that it happened. Mm-hmm. We can move on acceptance on that. But what can I learn from it so it doesn't happen again? Like, what do we now know is a trigger? Okay, that fight with your wife where she like cut down your manlyhood. Like, if that happens again, be very aware not to go to the bar and start a bar fight. Yeah. Uh, And that seems silly, but it's like, sometimes we have to help consciously put those pieces together because it didn't make sense to him why he would go and start another fight. He's already in trouble with his wife and now he's going to be in trouble with the law. Like she's mm -hmm. really not going to be happy about it. He's like, why would I even do that? And I was like, well, you know, you felt like you needed to show yourself that you are strong and a man and Mm -hmm. And it's, it's interesting because you'll see that kind of parallel with some of the other addictions too. Wow. What about road rage? Would that go in the same Hmm. as the rage seeking? It could could. usually, um, some of, of road road rage is a a fascinating thing Mm -hmm. because part of road rage is inflexible thinking, um, similar to like PTSD, similar to some of the other, uh, anxiety actually. Yeah. Uh, inflexible thinking, right? So mm-hmm. I know that guy cut me off mm-hmm. because he wants to fuck with me. Yep. Right? So I am not letting in the idea that he may be having a medical emergency. Maybe he's not paying attention. Mm-hmm. The likelihood he doesn't know me and he's not doing that to like screw with me. Though occasionally, you know, like someone will do that to screw with you. Yeah. But not taking it like now I'm going to do something. A personal attack. Yeah. Right. Okay. Most of the time, someone does something like that. My response is, I'm going to give that guy a little room because I'd rather him be in front of me than behind me to do something crazy. But if mm-hmm. you're flipping that and it's like, I'm going to teach him a lesson, the likelihood you'd actually teach him a lesson is low. But again, inflexible thinking. My belief is that I will be able to change his behavior somehow. Yeah. So I don't tend to see that connected bariatric. And most of the time when people have road rage, they had it before. Uh, and and it also sometimes is a little safer, right? So mm-hmm. if I'm like, I actually, uh, there was a tugboat in the lane, in the left lane when I was driving on the highway today. And I somehow my Siri picked it up and texted my friend. And I said, what the fuck is this tugboat doing in the left lane? And my friend is like, I don't know. What is it? And I was like, what are you talking about? She's like the tugboat. I'm like, how do you know that? She's like, you just texted it to me. And I was like, oh, that's funny. so it felt safe to me. I wouldn't roll my window down and be like, yo, tugboat, what are you doing? In the left lane? <laughs> but it's safe oh for me God. to be angry at this stupid tugboat that's in the left lane. So again, sometimes road rage just feels kind of <coughs> safe if it's yeah. more verbal. But if you're starting to like behaviorally act it out and it's problematic, come and see us. Usually that has a level of like feeling of non-control. Like the rest of my life doesn't feel very controlled. And now I'm going to teach my boss is a jerk to me and, and doesn't let me do anything. And now, you know, and now this, this asshole here is going to cut me like usually has to do with something along, like a lot of things control or feeling belittled or are unimportant in other aspects of your life. All right. Well, that makes sense about the range. Yeah. Did we talk about shopping? Yeah. Shopping. Okay. I, I feel like that's a lot in our community because we have to shop because we lose weight. 
And then we don't know like what's the line. Yeah. Yes. Very challenging this one. So we yes. call this debting addiction now. Okay. So instead of shopping, shopping's cool as long as you got the money for it. So as ridiculous as that sounds, it's the truth. So again, it has to negatively impact your life. If you have millions of dollars to spend on clothing and you spend millions of dollars, doesn't negatively impact your life. Not I can't really diagnose that. Yeah. yeah. If you are someone who, again, kind of similar to to the gambling, because it's mm-hmm. kind of a similar pathway, spending money that I should be spending on on other things, uh, finding myself in the store when I don't need to be there, um, having shame or, or uh, reluctant feeling to return things if they don't fit, if they don't, we don't really need them. If I've overpurchased and I don't really want to take it back because I'm afraid what they'll think of me. It, again, uh... it's it's deeper than just the buying. Now, sometimes people get uh, real connected with that feeling, getting a good deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I always tell the story, like I had the, my uh, torrid bucks, uh, hot bucks, and I drove all the way there and, and, you know, wasn't, I didn't even, my size, they didn't have my size anymore, but it was like, I got the deal, like it's so expensive. And then I got the bucks. So I got to <laughs> go buy something with like, so, so that's kind of a non-addictive, but like the same idea, but you can see how that gets kind of hard, hardwired. Yeah. Um, so again, where you would want to seek treatment is if you are doing it to the point where you are, you don't have enough money for other obligations, other people around you are, are stating concern. You're not going out with us because you say you don't have any money, but you used to, and it just seems like maybe you're shopping a lot. What I've seen a little bit too, which is kind of fascinating to me is um, where people feel like they need to be up with certain brands. And so they're spending money they don't have because they want to be up with the brand where really they have no business having $800 belt. So mm-hmm. if, if it has to do with how you believe people will perceive you or it, um, I, I had a client once that was like, got real connected with that feeling of like, you are the people who are around you. Oh, okay. Yeah. And she wanted to be, she wanted to like level up. Right. And so she just started hanging out with people who had more money. She's like, okay, that's, that's how I'll level up. <laughs> well, they all wore fancy shoes and fancy purses and fancy belts. And so she didn't really have the means to be doing that, but she would make it happen. Uh, and found herself in $10,000 of credit card debt within a few months, which is very easy to do. Uh, and with credit cards in particular, it's hard sometimes for us to like visualize how much we're spending because uh-huh. it's just, especially if you've gotten some cards where like now, because you've had them for a while, they have $20,000, $30,000 of um, space on them. So again, if you living outside of your means, you're not returning stuff, you are now starting to hoard things you do not need. Um, you're putting yourself in in debt or jeopardy of losing your home, your children. Um, so just kind of like keep an mm-hmm. eye on that. It's it's tough though because it's like we do need like several new wardrobes during this process. Yes. Yeah. So I always recommend people shop secondhand. Uh-huh. You can even shop high end secondhand. We have also we have a place here that all they sell is Lily Pulitzer. It's an entire resale shop. Like if you want to go high, like go for it. Um, but don't necessarily spend a lot of money when we know you're gonna like not be able to mm-hmm. wear it potentially yeah. in a few months. And so you're repeatedly doing the behavior. So there's a little more risk for the population because again, exposure risk has to do with exposure. So you're exposed to shopping more. Um, for a lot of us, the process used to be painful and now it's kind of fun. 
Mm-hmm. And so that sometimes brings in like, I get to, I can, I can wear any of this, all yep. of this. Like I, I could try it on, I could buy it all. Some of us also, myself included, got in this pattern of if it fits, I'll buy it because the, mm-hmm. the amount that fit was so little oh, that yeah. it was like, you don't really have a choice. And again, not clicking into your body for preference, right? Yeah. So it, when I grew up, it, if it fit, it was mine. Like it, it didn't really matter if it was in fashion or not, because mm-hmm. the, the alternative was you got no pants. So it was hard for me to kind of click into like, what is my preference for pants? Like, what do I want? How would I want to, uh, I remember a friend of mine was like, taking this class on using clothes as an expression as a therapist. And I was like, that's a weird thing to do. She's like, Oh, it's so fun. I just, I want to wear bright colors and like all this crazy stuff. And I was like, that would be cool, but I would never do, you know, in my head, I'll never do that. But it's like, no one ever asked me like, what's your style. It was, um, you know, Lane Bryant, 2000, uh, 1999, we had lady business suits, you know, so I, a power, a good power suit, you know, I I've had many, so, you know, it's one of those things that again, all those things kind of coming into one, being able to click into your body to say, um, does this look good on me? Do I want it versus it fits? I better get it because it's scarce. Like if there's just not going to be a lot of it. Yeah. The problem is now there is no scarcity. Mm-mm. You could buy everything in the store mm-hmm. if you really wanted to. Uh, and that can feel you know, dangerous for some people. Well, and it feels good when you are in a size that you've never been able to yes. buy before. Oh, yeah. Like I remember fitting into mediums and smalls and I had never been able to do that. And so I wanted to buy all of the smalls. Right, right. Because I wanted to continue to look at that and be like, I'm wearing a size small. I'm wearing a size small. Like it was like a little celebration, but I, I probably should have not done that. I will admit that. <laughs> yeah. No, well, I believe me. I had this, I've had things where I'm like, I, this fits and I like it. So I'll get it in every color. Cause that was something that yep. I would do before. Yep. We're now like, girl, if you buy one more during the pandemic, everyone, those, uh, like $6 V-neck t-shirts from target. Yep. That every, yes. Yeah. I had them in every color. Yeah. I have like, every oh, color. I need it. Yeah. Cause you just layer over the top of them. Yep. Exactly. Yep. You know, I have therapist cardigan. I have a therapist cardigan. I think we know someone that might actually have like a sex addiction. Mm. And I feel like that does come up after surgery. It does. It does. And I've definitely that? seen that in the bariatric community okay. um, personally as well as um, professionally. And that it's really hard as a friend mm-hmm. when you see those kind of behaviors because. I don't want to squash the idea of liberation and getting into your own body and you making your own choices. It's hard to let our friends know when we're starting to see like potentially problematic behavior where it's not from a sign of judgment. It's from a sign of, I'm afraid you're putting yourself in dangerous or unhealthy situations and you're going to get hurt either emotionally or or physically, which actually is more what happened uh, in the case that I was thinking of. But it's, it's a hard kind of, balance of like being able to express your yourself in the way that you would like to. Um, and so what I try to help people see is like, how did you feel afterwards? Did you feel ashamed? Did you feel uncomfortable? Did you feel unsafe? Did you feel like you wanted to disconnect or disassociate? Did you feel like, how did you feel? And sometimes the, the what comes up is shame and it's not actually problematic. It's just more like historical, either we've been told like that. So we'll kind of process that. But if it kind of keeps reiterating like unsafe, um, that's something that we want to explore. Okay. 
Um, because sometimes unsafe stuff is really exciting, but mm -hmm. it's still unsafe at the end of the day. Um, so, or if it gets more complicated, like one partner, there's a case where I could think of like one partner. So both of the partners had bariatric surgery and one really wanted to get into everything and anything. And the other one felt obligated because they wanted to keep the marriage alive and well. Mm -hmm. And they thought, well, this is just, you know, we're just spicing it up. We're, and then it really got into some bad predatory where mm. that person in the bariatric community was then kind of preying on younger and mm. not like children, but, you know, like the younger, more impressionable bariatric people. So, wow. yeah, very complicated. Yeah. So, again, that person knew mm -hmm. that there are going to be a lot of people in our community that are going to feel amazing that they are being made this offer that they are being told they're so beautiful and so amazing uh, that they should be involved in their sexual escapades. And so I get that, but that felt predatory. Yeah. And, so, and problematic. Mm -hmm. Also by the means in which they were going about it, which I'll not disclose, but then people will kind of figure out who I'm talking about. But okay, it's, it's an interesting conundrum in the community. So how do we actually deal with it? Or how do you know if it's a problem? Yeah. So how do you feel afterwards? You know, do you remember stuff? Are you doing things that are really dangerous, uh, potentially illegal? Uh, and that that has some flexibility. So in some states, like OnlyFans, that kind of thing it, is illegal. But I'm talking more about, you know, like potentially getting yourself in, in some big legal trouble. Because um, sometimes that can be connected with, um, I don't know, I had someone who like got connected with drug trafficking as part of all the stuff, other stuff they were doing. Wow. Because it just seems like, why not? Yeah, like that's what the next when you like up the ante and up the ante up and up. Now we're going to go on vacation and smuggle drugs in the United States. Yeah, like let's, you know, so again, it's like outside of that situation, yeah. you would probably be like, that sounds pretty risky. I don't, I don't, I don't think I want to take that risk. Yeah. But because you kind of upped and upped and up and again, social normative yeah. around us. That's what people are doing. They're smuggling, they're going on vacation, smuggling drugs. So I think that again, like sometimes we got to like back out of that and be yeah. like, that a best next move for me. Yeah. Um, sometimes what happens is you just get too deep into it. And so then like sometimes shame comes up and then it's like, well, I've, I've already done this. So like it is who I am. And it's like, okay, well, is that true? Like maybe the community knows that, but like, I don't think that really means about anything about you as a person. So again, instead of failure, a learning experience, Yeah. you know, when I allow other people to control my preferences to that degree, my preferences are no longer my my own preferences. And so I don't want to be in a relationship with someone who's willing to take advantage of me and my community. And so I need to leave that that relationship. And so, you know, we work kind of on on that. Okay. Um, sometimes people get uh addicted to the anonymous parts. So anonymous sex, that's an interesting oh. thing for surgery. Um, so again, that's the chase. Mm -hmm. getting what the reward so kind of the rabbit and this the stick kind of thing uh and so again that can be risky behavior from an std or, or pregnancy standpoint so again it's like what kind of situations are you putting mm -hmm. yourself in uh if it's really not problematic then it's really not problematic i mean it is it is kind of an interesting thing i've had clients who like they really haven't put themselves in situations and then they stop and they get in relationships and they're cool with it and I'm like okay all right. But I, I think it's it's when you're creating that that negative part or it's negatively impacting your job. Like you are taking risks on the job. Like you are on the job mm -hmm. 
in uniform, doing whatever you're doing, and now you're going to put your job at risk. You're going to put your coworkers at risk. You're going to put the business at risk. You're going to put your livelihood at risk. Like red flag, problematic behavior. Okay. Okay. And the one last thing, and this is probably really random, but it's like I've heard even just like as adults, and this is more of a woman thing, is a shoplifting thing. Mm. Let's talk about shoplifting. Okay, so two two categories of shoplifting. Okay. Sneaky shoplifting, not sneaky shoplifting. Sneaky shoplifting is more about not getting caught. Okay. So when I worked at uh, Old Navy, when I was in college, the way that we dealt with people in the shoplift, we very nicely went up to them and say, would you like something to go with that red blouse? Because you saw them put the red blouse in the the Mm. And then they would quickly like dump the, the, I don't know what you're talking about, dump the thing and leave. Because in that case, it is about um, not getting caught. Okay. Mm -hmm. Getting what I want. Um, It warps into other things, but usually in the beginning, it has something to do with, I want this. I can't have it. I'm going to get it. And then I don't get caught. So again, like the the, the apps don't pop out of the the, the, uh, closet. Okay. And so then it becomes normative that they don't get caught because they're special. And they're going to keep doing it, keep doing it. And usually eventually they get caught. Not sneaky. The people that just like run in and grab stuff and run away. Uh-huh. Um, that usually has more to do with, I feel there's an injustice and I'm going to equalize the injustice. Okay. Oh. Cause I was at Target a couple of days ago and there was literally a guy that had a basket full of stuff. And mm-hmm. the, I could hear the lady go, sir, you didn't pay for that. Sir, you need to come back that you didn't pay for that. And he just walked right, right out. out the door and they can't go after them anymore, right. except for they can use the video as evidence, obviously. Right. But it was very interesting because like no backward glance, no nothing, just straight out. And I was just yeah. like, wow, that's wild. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a little different because they are going like they know they are caught and it doesn't impact them. So uh-huh. sneaky shoplifting if you said that, they would say, oh, it's a mistake. I didn't mean to have the shoes in the bottom. I was in Kohl's one time and someone put shoes in the bottom of like the Kohl's cart and then put their stuff and loss prevention was watching them. They they saw them do it. Yeah. And so they put the stuff they pay for on top. And then she could say like, oh, like that was a mistake. I didn't realize that was in there. And, you know, like they dealt with it versus if I just walk out, I don't give a shit. Yeah. I'm stealing this and I'm letting everyone in here know that I'm stealing. It. Yeah. Yep. And I'm do- I and feel I deserve it. Yeah, exactly. That's how it yeah. felt. Like yeah. I That's deserve this different. and I don't really care if I have to pay for it. I've never seen someone do that. Uh, I've seen a, people oh, do really? it. Yeah. Like Ulta. Well, we watched those people steal shoes. The what? Remember outside? Of, yeah, we were we actually, we came out oh, of Ulta. Yeah, we came out of Ulta. And there's a shoe store next to it. And all of a sudden we see these people with shoes like stacked. And they're yep. just running. And they like dumped half the shoes out. And like, yeah, yeah, it was wild. It yeah, was wild. I, I was in a TJ Maxx. I think it was a TJ Maxx one time. And someone came and got like, you know how they have the, the, sh- the purses that are on like the little trees? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Went in. And he was just running with like all the designer bags and I was just standing there and I was like, why are all the designer bags right in front of the door? Like, you know, oh my God. Like he, oh my God. He knew what he's doing. So very different again. So sometimes the um, adrenaline seeking can also be the non-sneaky ones. Okay. Um, you can't catch me. I'm better than, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to win. I'm, I'm going to be better. Um, 
sometimes too, uh, there's another one that's called boosting and that's where you steal things to return it. Mm. Okay. And then get money or cash back. Um, boosting has another connotation as well, but, um, I have had, I've worked with clients who, who have boosted. Um, usually that starts as more of a means to like support. It's Mm. not, it's doesn't really fit in the other two. It's not necessarily adrenaline seeking though. Sometimes it is. Um, but sometimes it starts out as a means to support and then it like turns into something else. Mm. Um, I've definitely been behind people returning stuff that like, I know they're boosting and they know they're like the store knows they're boosting, but they're still following the rules. Yeah. Um, it, yeah, it's, well, it's weird. Yeah. 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 It's an interesting one. Oh, we got to talk about food addiction. Oh, I feel in like on food addiction. I feel like we should save food addiction for a whole nother one. Yeah. Have it all by itself. Okay. We can do I that. I feel like there's enough that goes along with food addiction. Yeah, we can do is. a whole thing on just food addiction. Yeah, because we hit all like okay. the, the big guys and then all the little guys. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let's do let's do part three, food addiction. Yes. Okay. I'm on it. All right. All right. My goodness. That we, was quite the episode. We've learned lots of things. Yes, today. my brain feels like it's taken all of it in. Like a little sponge. Yeah, pretty yeah. much. So, so thank you, Ashlyn, for right. blowing our minds a second time. Yes, and we are Keep very much it. looking forward to the third <laughs> food addiction with, with Ashlyn. Yeah, because I learned a lot. Like, you just made my mind blow a lot during some cer- certain ones just because, like, I've experienced it. Mm-hmm. Um, I dealt with it. Mm-hmm. So it's like, oh, this makes way more sense. Yeah, yeah, it and really does. to know that, like, Hey, just ask for help. There mm. is avenues to go out there yes. and get help. We're going to have all of Ashlyn's stuff in the description below for yeah. help. Is there anything you want to plug before we go? Something I would just say if, if you're someone in the community, try to find a, a therapist that is aware of bariatrics or is a bariatric therapist mm. because you're more likely to get labeled further more along. Like they're less likely to understand kind of the nuances of all this. Like I told the story the first time where like the first time I saw a bariatric Mm -hmm. or I saw a therapist who's not a bariatric therapist. They were like, you're going to become an alcoholic and leave your husband. So make sure you are seeing someone who is well aware of bariatrics, either had surgery themselves or worked in it. So they're up to date on research and they understand kind of, you know, bariatric stuff. Mm -hmm. I will plug my training. If you are a therapist, a licensed uh, therapist, you can be a psychologist, clinical social worker, LPC, LMHC, LMFT, any fully licensed mental health professional, and you are looking to be able to do pre-surgical evaluations or post-op care. Um, I do have a training. It's learnbariatricpsychologicalassessments.com. Um, it is a training that includes templates, education series, everything you need to go from knowing nothing to being able to complete those bariatric assessments, uh, as well as business planning, among other things. And I am an open book. If you guys have questions, Find me on social media. I'm more than happy to answer questions. Just know that if you need therapy, I can only work with you if you're in the state of Florida. I can do coaching outside of the state of Florida. I know I've had so many people reach out to me. I had someone from Canada. I'm like, oh, I'd love to work with you. I can work with coaching, which is a little different. That's more problem solving, behavioral change versus getting deep down into trauma. So unfortunately, if we need to get deep down into trauma, got to be in the state of Florida. You can always reach out. I have all the people that I refer within the United States who have been trained, who know what they're doing. Um, you can always reach out to me for referrals, uh, but just know that you got to be in the state of Florida for therapy or in the uh, 
other places for coaching, but there's some limitations in that. So okay, and okay. Thank you guys, as always, for having yeah. me. I love yeah. being on here. It it's was so, so much fun. fun. It's, it's a mind blowing experience. Experience every time. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Yeah. Well, thank right. you again, Ashlyn. Thank Everybody, you. go check her out on Instagram. Yes. Don't forget to see all of us on YouTube. Remember, yep. our sleeve life podcast. Click the bell and hit subscribe because you're going to get access to these and JBY stuff as they come out. Yes. So make sure that you're going over also to jbyawards.com. Mm-hmm. And if you didn't listen to Ashlyn's first episode, you need to go back and find it and listen to it. So just keep that in mind. Yeah. All right. We love you guys. We will. And we we'll will see, see you next time. Why am I messing this up? Hold on. We got to redo it. What are you doing today? Redo. Let's redo it. Okay. We love you guys and we will see you next time. Bye. Hey, listeners, if you enjoyed your time with us, please rate, review, and subscribe on any platform you get your podcasts. And don't forget to go over to patreon.com forward slash OSLP for all your support needs. That's right. And we even have our own website. So go over to ourslevipodcast.com, sign up for our newsletter, get that free ebook, and then don't forget to get your merch. And also we're on YouTube, guys. So type in our name, hit that bell and hit subscribe, and you're going to see our lovely faces every single Tuesday. So thank you for listening to our sleep life podcast where we are breaking that stigma one episode at a time. <laughs>